Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Hello, I'm Jonathan Bowman-Perks and welcome back to my favorite time of the week. And I am delighted to have a dear friend and a very respected inspiring leader, Deanna Oppenheimer. Deanna and I uh, got to meet each other when she was uh, one of the uh, CEOs at Barclays, a senior exec at Barclays, um, both for uh, UK and then also for Europe. And then after doing very successfully there, she went back to the USA and she set up uh, two businesses, a for-profit business called Cameo Works and a not-for-profit business called Board Ready, which is very exciting and its moment has come. As well as that, she's never has a dull life. She's also has a portfolio career of non-executive directorships and chairmanships that she's helping a number of top companies that you'd all know and respect. So, Deanna, welcome. Great to have you on the series. It's great to be here, Jonathan. Always fun to get to talk to you. And uh, again, um, I'm honored and pleased to be here. Well, thank you very much indeed. So let's go into talk about inspiring leadership. It's something that you and I have chatted about a lot over the years. And what, what, do you, what does it mean to you, inspiring leadership? And who are a couple of people, real life examples of people you know at different levels, who you found inspiring and the qualities that they've displayed? You know, it's really interesting because the one thing that I think is we shouldn't confuse leaders with um, titled management um, because I think leadership happens at all levels. And so one that I would think about was um, when I was um, in retail banking in the States, um, I had responsibility for all of our branch network that um, ended up being across the United States. And I remember going into uh, one of the toughest, toughest parts of Los Angeles um, and um, walked into that branch. And uh, this particular woman had been in banking. Gosh, she looked to be about 12 years old, but I think she was one of those that told me she'd been in banking for about 20 years, was the assistant manager of the branch. And... Um, one of the most inspiring leaders I have ever seen because she sat there and she said, you know, this is our neighborhood and we don't care how rough and tough it is. There are people that we need to be serving and we need to be doing it with a smile. So I get my whole crew together every morning and we do the Crenshaw cheer and um, it was great. And the customers come in and they wait. It's a little bit like changing the guard. They would wait for everybody to come out, come together. And just like cheerleaders, they would do their cheer, start everybody's day and great um, aspiration and, um, and take off and go. So there was never a bad day um, with, uh, with her and never a bad day in that branch. And um, that, that's one example of an inspiring leader. Yeah. I think another example is um, a person who had been um, my first um, CEO that I worked for and first bank that I worked for um, when I entered banking, a uh, man by the name of Lou Pepper, who uh, was a key mentor of mine until he passed away 
um, in much later years. And um, he was so bright and so great. Um, he was a lawyer by training on the left brain and the right brain side, but so humble, so humble. Listened well, led well, and was really humorous. And he is somebody that I have kind of um, looked up to and still um, think of often. And never ever, um, you know, I didn't work for him probably for 20 years uh, mm -hmm. uh, as I went on through my career, but would never ever make a big career move without talking with Lou first. So those are kind of two, two vast areas of the spectrum. But yeah. I do think that, um, that there's some really interesting correlations. And I know we'll talk about this because you always have some really great ideas on uh, or the characteristics that bind inspiring leaders together. Mm -hmm. No, it, it's, it's very interesting. And, and you've made leadership you know, a real calling for you, whether you're advising people or you're finding good people and drawing them up. And now you've got these these two businesses, the, the, the for-profit and the not-for-profit. Do you want to just tell us a bit about what each does and why you find them so exciting and what you're seeing changing things as a result of that? You bet. Well, um, when I decided to leave uh, the executive world in, gosh, I guess that, oh, wow, that's been nearly 10 years ago now, mm -hmm. Jonathan. You and I have known each other for a long time. Um, and... Um, and go as, uh, as you would say in the UK, uh, plural. Mm. Um, I thought, what can I do that will make me relevant? Um, not today, because when you leave an executive role and you go out, you want to join corporate boards, you're really relevant then, but five years or 10 years from now. And so um, my thought was to construct a portfolio where I would do big corporate um, public boards, um, which I've been very privileged and honored to have gotten to do that in three continents. Um, but then to be able to, um, I divide my time between the UK and uh, Seattle, Washington, and in Seattle to really give back to the burgeoning tech community that was going on there. So um, another um, former colleague and I started a company called Cameo Works. Um, with Drew Wolf, who you would know yeah, yeah, uh, back from uh, back from the days when we worked together, and um, and Cameo Works, uh, what we do is we um, help advise CEOs of early stage disruptors, usually between their A and C round of funding. Uh, usually, when they get to the point where they have um, problems that are um, challenging, really challenging for a leader. You know, I've started the company that's been really fun, but now maybe the team that got me here is not going to get me on. And a lot of those people maybe were really good friends and how do I deal with that? Um, they decided to start in, you know, maybe a, a garage and uh, now they're going to go global. Uh, what do we do there? And, um, and then I've got a lot of alternatives. A lot of people that are trying to give me, you know, do I buy out now? Do I go public? Uh, what do I do on that front? So that blend of taking the entrepreneurial innovation out of the West Coast and teaming it up with um, global uh, big companies back and forth has, mm. has been really uh, unique and really relevant. Yeah, fascinating. Now, what about the latest one that you're doing? Now, that sounds really interesting. 
Yes. So that was my foray into nonprofit and starting a nonprofit. Um, I have a group of people that um, we've been very dedicated to the importance of diversity on corporate boards and governing boards overall. And um, so a couple of um, women who are really seasoned corporate directors um, and just great people um, out of Seattle, um, Charlotte Guyman and Phyllis Campbell and myself, um, started talking about this about five years ago. You know, how do we get more diversity on boards? At that time, it was a lot about gender diversity. Um, and through that period of time, um, we basically have morphed that idea. And now, um, about a year ago, uh, really launched BoardReady.io. It's a nonprofit, and um, we do three things. The first thing we do is we calculate um, what we call the Board Ready Index. And that's a, a metric that compares your diversity um, score, if you will, as a corporate uh, board against your peer group. And um, that's been really interesting because it starts a conversation um, that's not an emotional one, but it's an analytical one. Um, and then we go in and do uh, consultations with boards of directors, um, either the chairman, their nom co-chair, sometimes the whole board itself, the CEO. And we sit and talk about not why you need the first woman on your board or whatever it is, but what diversity of thought brings, particularly in these times. And um, that's been really a lot of fun. And then we have the third element is what we call the talent vault, which is where we pooled all our network of um, really diverse, great, amazing people um, that have that diversity of thought. Maybe they've been on a board, about 70% have served on a board, 30% haven't, but they have some skills and really capabilities that are great. And we'll make introductions because often what I hear is, well, Deanna, you know, there's nobody else like you around. Well, actually, for what you want to achieve in your line of business and what you're doing, there's many people that are way better than I am. And we do our own little bit, you know, um, of trying to pair people together. But it's a lot of fun and very, very rewarding and inspiring. And uh, just recently, we've developed that metric um, to be looking at uh, not only gender or tenure diversity, but ethnicity as well. And um, I think that, you know, um, we're finding that there's a lot of interest to talk about how do we how do we successfully get that diversity of thought into our thinking at the very top of an organization? It's a fascinating area. And with the different organizations that I'm talking to, they're starting to get more gender diversity on their non-executive directors. Indeed, now, someone was saying the other day in the UK that sort of 90% of the main board directors that they're now appointing are women because they're trying to rebalance it. Yes. Uh, which is great. But as we're seeing with this period of time of Black Lives Matter and all that's going on, there's not enough ethnic diversity in the board. So funny enough, what, what I'm seeing is the thing that's changing first is actually the main board of an organization is getting more balance. But actually the organization itself is, is bringing up diversity, maybe lower down gender diversity. But then there's this blockage 
for, for them to go, if it's scientists or academia or whatever, no, not academia so much, but scientists or technical areas, you know, software designers, things like that, not enough diversity of either ethnicity or sexual orientation or, 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 um, or gender at all. What's, what's your own view? Um, my view is that, you know, it's really interesting because I think diversity means you need a balance of whatever is not predominantly represented. So I would say the same thing. If there was a board, which there is not, um, but if there was a board of all women, you would need male diversity. If there was a board of all older people, you need younger people. Mm. And clearly ethnicity is not well represented and we need to keep doing that now what you're talking about is really important and that's building the pipeline mm. because um there is a real need to have people throughout the organization who's had that business experience um to be able to be really key uh sounding boards mm. um and guiding and governance at the top so again, what Board Ready does, we're focused in the United States um, on, the, um, on the board um, and, and corporate boards that we work with. And it's just, you know, we're tiny, <laughs> we're, we're little, but it's every, every little bit counts. Mm. And, um, mm. and that is, that's crucial. Yeah. Because when we can sit down from different viewpoints and talk and reason, and share those experiences, we're stronger and better as a result and bringing yeah. everybody to the table. No, that's, that's very true. And you and I have talked um, over, over many occasions about inspiring leadership and um, three things, courage to ask for feedback and to be prepared to learn and stretch yourself, humility to admit when you got it wrong or you don't know, because when you say you don't know, it allows your team to say they don't know, and it allows someone more junior to say, I, I, I know, I do know. All right, bring, bring your idea. What, what do you think? Tell me what you think. Um, and, and, and also vulnerability. Are prepared, you're prepared to be, uh, admit when you've made a mistake and say sorry and that kind of stuff. Um, thinking back in your own career, um, any stages, what about you? Because you have, a, you have a great confidence, but you also have a humility, a lovely mix of the two. What about a story about when you got it badly wrong as a leader, but what it taught you to be a better leader afterwards? Because one of the reasons you're on here is various people I know all say, yeah, Deanna's got to be on the Inspiring Leadership Series. She really is an inspiring leader. And it's not because you said so. I wouldn't have you on for that reason. It's because others say you are. So what, what was your story when you got it wrong and what you learned from it? Well, you know, I think that um, it's interesting because there's so many times that you get it wrong. <laughs> you either get it wrong on timing and you get it wrong on, um, you know, choices that uh, you've made along the way. But I think that the trick is um, when you do that to learn and apply. And I guess that um, the story that I would have always everything for me in leadership that's so important are people. And um, I think early on in my career, um, I probably was not as direct on managing performance challenges with some of the people that worked with me than I might have been. 
And I remember one time, um, I was probably a mid-level manager, and I finally sat there and I thought, you know, I've just got to have tough conversation. And um, sat down with this individual. I said, it just isn't working. I mean, you're, you're not seeming to be engaged. Uh, you're not, you're, you're making mistakes. You're making errors. We've gone through different things. We tried coaching and those types of things. And at the end of the day, after we went through that very direct and, and empathetic conversation, um, you know, you discovered that he didn't even want to be there. <laughs> he, he hated the job. Yeah. And, um, and never saw it as a fit. But the fact that we had that real conversation and should have had it probably, that was my mistake, should have had it probably six months or a year earlier, um, that's it. So what I took away and learned from that is you've got to be really honest and you have to be really direct, but in a very empathetic kind of way. Um, of, uh, a boss of mine, um, again, who I admired a lot, uh, he always used to say, you know, we all talk about hiring to the brand, but sometimes there comes a time where you have to let people go and you need to fire to the brand. Mm. And back when I was um, in corporate America, um, we never did that well at all. You know, you'd wine and dine everybody to get them in the organization. And then it was kind of like, uh, here's a quick letter and you're out and you're out today and, and really terrible. Um, so I do think that that is, um, that's when I probably always got it wrong. It was always about kind of a wrong call on people. The great thing about that now, having had a lot of years and experience with it, and now being in more of an advisory role, is you can help identify that in others and, um, and kind of help challenge um, thinking on that, on that path. Yeah, it's a, it's a good point you make about hiring and firing to, to the brand. Uh, one of the bosses I once had said, John, my job as the leader is to find good talent, bring them in, develop them, help them soar like eagles, not, not have them like turkeys kept in a barn with a spotlight on them, <laughs> and then help them leave and find their happiness elsewhere if there's not a good fit. And, and often they're greatly relieved when you have that conversation you mentioned. But look, it's just not working. And if you're not embarrassed by your performance, I'm embarrassed for you. What are you going to do about it? It's your life. And they go, do you know what? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not happy and it's, it's not me. So look, let's help you find it. It's somewhere else. And, um, but people do leave it too long. And they, and they don't want to have that. They want to be popular rather than respected. And they don't want to have that awkward conversation. But there's one thing I, always, I will always remember for you. Going to about the third farewell for you. And, and <laughs> someone said to me, she's the only executive we've had for many years who actually, we've had all these farewells. Most of them get fired and just leave the organization. No one sees them again. They're just like, they're there one minute and then they've gone. You know, like, they haven't even, you haven't even seen them take their box out of the building. And you had a number of farewells and you left on such good terms. And that's rare, but, but actually, I may lie to it, but it actually brings out the point it's really important that you help people leave the organization with a good feeling the way they came into it. Even if it hasn't worked out, help them leave and find somewhere that's much better for them and, and help them leave with dignity and with grace rather than just 
a shameful firing and then they have to try and explain on their CV what happened and begin to make up a whole story around the reason that uh, they decided that it wasn't for me. No, it wasn't. They got fired. But, you know, it, sometimes it's, it's not the right thing. Well, and I have to I have to hesitate to say or I have to hasten to say that, uh, you know, I did retire, Jonathan. I, did, I didn't get fired, but <laughs> I think that yeah. um, you chose. But it. I do think that uh, I do think that that is um, that's really true. And now look at where we are. Um, we are in the midst of the biggest upheaval, certainly of this generation and yeah. um, in your lifetime and mine. Um, as a result of the pandemic. And what does that mean? Um, again, one of my, my views, um, and I can't say I made this up uh, I'm shamelessly copying it, but you know, there's going to be millions of people without jobs and millions of jobs without people. So we really need now to be looking at what are the opportunities that are going to be out there and how can you position yourself and be brave? And it's one of your points that you said, courage, mm. to go for those opportunities. I had the privilege this year of um, being kind of a uh, business in residence um, at the University of Washington at their um, Foster School of Business. And it was really interesting because, you know, for a while, um, they had invited both my husband and I to do this. And... For a while, we were there and, you know, seeing classrooms and on campus and everything. And then, of course, uh, the pandemic hit. So we've been doing everything virtually and um, having the opportunity to talk to a lot of upcoming students. And it is a scary time to be taking your college degree mm. and going out in the world. But it also, if you stay focused on the things that you can control, you can make a difference on and keep your eyes open for the opportunities that present themselves. It can be one of the best times um, to go out. And so I'm just a big believer that, and it's so hard to do. I, I can give this advice. And this is another one where am I, I always go wrong when I say, you know, stay focused on what you can achieve and what you can do and don't let everything else worry you. Well, I get caught up in the in yeah. those other things as much as anybody does. But that's why we need people like you to coach mm. and inspire us and <laughs> and uh, help mentor us to keep Thank on that you. track. Well, it's very kind of you. And, and you reminded me with the American theme of um, years ago, there was a lovely man called Earl Nightingale. You remember he was a newsreader in the States and he did a lot of the early motivational books and stories. The Strangest Secret, I think, was... Um, was one he had. But he said during the last depression, and I think this is of the size of the Great Depression of 1929, am I not right, with the oh, number yeah. of un unemployed. And he said, many people are going, just, just anything, give me a job, just give me, some, I just want some money, some work, just give me, I'll do anything. And he said, it was no, what happened, he, he cited one particular person he knew well, and he, he was very focused. In the days before there was internet and he would spend days in the library and talking to people in two or three firms he he, he was like a, a sniper rifle with three bullets not a shotgun just all over the place and he'd focus on those three companies and find out all about them and then find a senior manager and say could i buy you a coffee i've got some ideas to help your organization 
uh, of the things that might be keeping you awake at night and some solutions. And he, he had a little presentation that he gave them. It was face to face because he'd thought about their problem and solutions to their problem. And, and he'd become an answer to the problem rather than just someone who wanted a job. And he always, always got a job because he offered to do it for the first couple of weeks for free. Try me out. Yeah. See if you like me. I'll come and do some work for you. Help share some of these ideas for free. If you like me, hire me on. And he always got hired. So you're right. You've got to be focused and you've got to be a solution to a problem, not just a number or a name. But I, I do take that one. There's a million people without jobs, but millions of jobs without people. And, and you may remember yeah. you very kindly uh, saw one of my daughters who came to some work and she's now working for Ricardo and um, she's on the um, acquisition and strategy team. She, she got her first at Cambridge and did well. Um, and she's looking at robotics and how all these uh, air conditioned um, warehouses and things where it's all going to be uh, automated. And so a lot, a lot of things will be automated and AI will be quite a key thing. So, it is going to be a very different world, isn't it? What's, what's, your, what's your estimation of how long is this, this impact, this economic impact going to last? Two, three, four, five years? I mean, you know. Well, you know, I think it's going to be uh, different uh, for different regions and different industries and different areas. Because if you look at right now, what you're seeing are some companies are doing extremely well. Yeah. yeah. Um, some companies, um, I, I just read... Um, and this was in the you know, this was in the U.S. Um, when everybody's staying at home, uh, for those of us who might have used um, hair coloring services in the past, um, the uh, sale of uh, home hair dye has uh, doubled uh, during the last couple of months. Um, but you know there are um, there are really interesting things that I think we're going to see coming out of this. Uh, pandemic. And again, if I had a crystal ball um, and know when it happens, um, it's more on the what will happen. We are, are accelerating trends that were already in place. Mm. Um, the use of technology. We would normally be sitting uh, together uh, across a table and having this conversation, but we're very comfortable having it in uh, two different countries, mm. uh, two different backdrops. And that's because the technology capability and our ability to embrace it systematically has changed. So that's been an acceleration. Yeah. If you look at the, the time, this would be the only point in time um, in probably the last century, at least a hundred years, um, where the whole world, everybody in the whole world, regardless of industry, walk of life, country, is going through exactly the same experience psychologically, um, physically, um, seeing everything at the same time. Mm. I don't know how that's going to turn out, but that is unique. Mm. And that is going to mean we're all in the same experience that will have huge impacts on us as we go forward. Uh, and finally, yeah. I think it's just a real oppor opportunity for leadership. Mm. Um, because if you're if you're in one of the, you just happen to be in an industry that is one of the winners, um, you know, my example on hair dye, mm. um, it's gonna take good leaders. And if you're in one of the challenged industries, um, hospitality, um, 
it's going to take good leaders. Mm -hmm. So I just think when there's this much disruption, it's an opportunity for leadership to shine. Yeah, and, and, and I, I so agree with you. It's just so sad to see that, for example, my days, 20 years in the military and then 20 years in business, in the military, if we had a crisis or a war, we'd be really focused on the development of our leaders at all levels. I'm finding big organizations, remain nameless because it probably embarrassed them, but you know, big professional services companies who say that you know, our people are the most important thing, and defense contractors who say it's really important about people. And they're, they're having a cash flow issue. And they go, first thing to go, stop leadership development, stop all coaching. And everywhere we go, we find that they're just like, no, no, we're not spending on that. In fact, stop where you are now. But this person's in real problem. Yeah, no, we don't care about that. So just stop now. We want the money back. And, and you go, really? At this time of great crisis, you are chopping all leadership development, all leadership? What? That's so, as Simon Sinek talks about, the infinite game and the finite game. That's a very finite game. That's just for this quarter to, to cut everything that's discretionary. And it's not thinking about the infinite game where you need good leaders to lead you through. And indeed, the leaders who are working so hard for the last three months are getting exhausted now, getting burnt out, getting tired, because they're working at 100% rather than, as we've done in many conflicts, Afghanistan, Iraq and stuff, we have to drop down to 80, 90%, have holidays, have breaks, come back for rest and recuperation to go back into the fight again. But people are thinking they can carry on this way. This is chapter one out of about 20 chapters. We've only done three months. We haven't even got into 2021, 2022, that the last Great Depression, 1929, only ended in 39 with the war. Yeah, yeah. You know, what's well, that? you know, I have to say, uh, one of the things when we all went into this, and we all remember the early days of this pandemic, um, every day, you felt like you were living a year because everything was um, was new. Um, somebody called this uh, moral fatigue, and and it's not your morals were fatiguing. It was that what you normally don't have to think about, um, you had to give great thought to. Am I going to go out and go buy groceries today? If I go, will I be safe? You know. Usually you just hop down the road and go do those things. Everything required that. And one of the things that gave me really inspiration, and you and I talked about this, is you had one of um, your videos that was talking about how you get through this. And I was sitting there, you know, doing 12, 14 hours of Zoom calls a day, Zoom, Zoom, Zooming, Zoom, Zoom, Zooming, Zoom, Zoom, Zooming. And then I looked at this video of yours and you talked about, hey, hey, this is not a sprint. This is a marathon. Because in a sprint, we can zoom, zoom, zoom every day. We can do everything. We can just sit and cram food in our mouths. We can not exercise. We can do all those things that you were pointing out. Luckily, I saw your video early on. <laughs> and I stopped and said, wait a second. <laughs> uh, we're going to have to do this for the long haul. You know, I can't keep ordering in cheeseburgers <laughs> from the corner place because that's what they... That's what they serve. And um, I did do that for, for a while, but I saved myself before I came off of it. And you were very inspiring to me on this is, this is because we're in a marathon and not a sprint. I actually took that and, and shared that with a lot of people as well, as you know. Mm -hmm. but that's exactly what you're saying. 
this is a fundamental change. We are not going to go back. I don't know where we're going to end up, but we're not going back. And when that happens, you have to be one at your best. And it goes back to that point, how are you at your best? Well, you have courage, yeah. your points, you are, you're, you're humble. Um, you are focused on what you can do. And one of the silver linings coming out of this um, is that particularly in my case where I was traveling all the time, I had an opportunity to settle in and be with family more. And even if I couldn't have them physically with me, which I was blessed to have had some with me, um, you started doing Zoom calls and all of those types of things. And it's been so sad because there's so many important things that have been disrupted. The athletes that, you know, won't be able to compete, the graduates that um, it's going to be different, the family celebrations, the displacement of jobs. There is so much that is sad and negative. But you can't live only in sad and negative. And so whatever it takes, and you were an inspiration for me, but to get a little bit, a little bit of that positivity, where are the silver linings? Um, had, that's what I think gets you through these tough and challenging times. Very true. And, and I've taken inspiration from the author Ryan Holiday and his various books, Daily Stoic, The Obstacle is the Way and uh, Stillness is the Key. And I, I've become you know, quite a, a strong follower of the Stoical philosophy and the Antonian plague that happened 2000 years ago which Marcus Aurelius, one of the Stoics, wrote about and actually to help pay for both a war and the plague, he sold off most of the luxurious possessions he had in his palace as emperor. But he also ultimately died of the plague. Um, but it, it brings out some great lessons. From 2000 years ago, we're repeating many of the same things. This thing about what hurts the bee hurts the hive that we are all in this together. We're all connected in some way. And you've talked about it. it's going on for all of us everywhere around the globe at the same time. And um, control the controllables. For example, I don't hardly ever watch the news. I might check in with the news BBC app once a day maybe, but I'm not watching loads of bad news social media filling my mind with desperately bad things. Because there's some of those things I can't control. That doesn't mean I'm not, I'm oblivious to it, but what can I control? I can control my thoughts and I can control my actions. And, you know, I and the family have been hit by this and it's affected us a lot financially. We've just had to completely readjust, pivot. And there's this thing about tempo, moving at speed in one direction. You have to suddenly change and move at speed at another direction without losing momentum and just innovate and be creative. And I'm doing a lot more of podcasts and things like this and whatever it might be. And we're helping a lot with the charity, which has gone virtual rather than meeting and helping vulnerable girls in person. Lee's now doing it all by the internet, working with the home office. You find ways to pivot. And you 
who are advising so many different organizations and uh, a non-executive director of many organizations, what are you seeing as, as best practice around the place? And what are you seeing as not good practice without naming anybody, but what are you seeing working well and what have people not handled well? Well, the first thing is um, exactly what you said. Um, this is a real opportunity to pivot. Um, you know, I've always had a saying that uh, I think a lot of people have this as well, never waste a good crisis. Well, this is one granddaddy of crises. I mean, and I think that does mean what does one need to do differently? Now, often we all do this. Well, yeah, I'm doing what I'm doing. But Jonathan, if you did that differently, then things would be better. And what I'm saying is that this is not what I need you to do differently. It's what will I do differently? What will I change? How will I look at what I'm trying to see here? And that's when um, basically I went from, you know, a big corporation to start Cameo Works and start Board Ready. That's the ultimate pivot. I mean, when you're starting a for-profit advisory firm, we pivoted all the time. Because, because you looked very quickly and assessed, is this working, is this not? Let's try the next thing, let's see. And to your point about why you have to stay in um, your best mind space that you can be in, because that's when you have the capability to change, to pivot, to recognize and go forward. So the first thing that I would say is that when you see leaders, when I'm seeing leaders that they're working, they're very quickly assessing, very honestly, and they could use that both from their own view, as well as the people they trust throughout the organization, as well as outside um, advice and counsel that's coming in, but they are in a space of receiving feedback. Because if you can't receive feedback, you won't change. So that is one thing that you start to see. The second thing is to really assess what's the core that makes a big difference. You know, on some of the boards that I've been on, everybody had to literally, um, there was a great, um, a great point made uh, by one of the companies uh, that I advise and work with and, and they're the, the chief, information officers said, you know, we've been trying to get people working from home and getting the systems and everything set for three years. We did it now in two weeks. So what does that mean? You're prioritizing. You are, it's like being in a crisis uh, and crisis management. You're taking the things that one really matter. You're letting go of the things that don't. And you're focusing the team on the vital few and not the trivial many. So that's the second thing. Now, the third thing, we haven't seen how this has come out yet. But the third thing will be, what a shame if we all try and say, now we can go back. And we lose that advancement. We lose the innovation that we brought forth. So that we can't see yet. But as a heads up, for those watching your podcast, which um, you have a lot more people doing this every day, I understand. Um, look for that. Mm. 
look for never saying, can you go back? You know, I, I learned this when uh, my first bank that I worked for in the U.S., we went through a dramatic growth phase from where we were bank number 4,323. Um, and we ended up over a period of, uh, you know, about a decade and a half of getting up to one of the top five banks in the country. And in the U.S., that's, that's a big achievement. And I remember when we kept going through that, people would go, okay, we're just working so hard. We're doing so many acquisitions. We're doing so many integrations. You know, when does it stop and when do we go back? I said, well, it may stop, but we're not going back. We're going to a new forward, a new way forward. Now we're holding, hopefully, all the things that made us great through that, but um, we honor the past, but we don't want to return to it. That's, that's very sage words. And another lovely quote someone gave me is that tomorrow is not a slower day. That yeah. we think, oh, I'm working at this incredible pace, but tomorrow it'll be easier. No, no, tomorrow will be like the same pace. In fact, there was one scientist who said, this is the slowest it will ever be today. This is the slowest it'll ever be. <laughs> it'll never be this slow. You're what? But it's going so fast. It'll never be this slow again. Yeah. And, and so this is where you've got to be brutally um, selective in what you say no to and what you say yes to. And in our own lives and our personal lives, I'm still left. And Marguerite, who, who lives with Lee and myself, has got Alzheimer's and she's in quite a, uh, a middle stage. It's, it's a tough time. She's also got lots of comorbidity. So if she got the virus, she would die. So we have to be very careful not to go out. We get the deliveries in and things like that. And to really keep ourselves fit and do the training things and go inside, but just really minimize, even when we see friends of ours outside that, you know, three meters away and we're over here and they're over there and we've got a glass of wine and they've got a glass of wine, we can have a chat, that's fine, but we really try and play it as sensibly as we can. But, but this new way forward, you have to pace yourself and do things very differently. But the biggest thing is what you let go of in order to focus on what matters. And mentioning Marguerite, she unfortunately had uh, cancer that she's in remission from at the moment about two years ago. And it was a hellish time. I was in the oncology department sitting and talking to three people, an 18 year old boy, um, a 41 year old woman and a 65 year old man. And they all had months to live. They, would, they, they knew, all knew they were gonna die. And I said, what message would you give me for other people who are learning from this? What really matters in life as you come towards this crucial stage, they all said relationships. It's like, it's mm. not, you know, the, the in-tray will, the, the email box will always be full. All that stuff, that doesn't matter. Making lots of money, he said, I had a Rolls Royce, I lost it. I had a business, I lost it. That's what, not what matters in my family. It's the relationships with the nearest and dearest and your good friends. And so have a job, have work that is worthwhile. I will work as long as I can. I'll probably have to work into later life because you know just to to make sure everybody's okay but do work that is worthwhile and like the diagram behind us um he said trying to point to the right diagram um yeah. the top the moral quotient you know what will you do and what won't you do your legacy what are you going to leave things better than you found it and pq what gives your life meaning and purpose 
And then health and well-being and your brand and your resilience, the decision-making and your emotional intelligence, those are all key elements that make inspiring leaders. So just some thoughts from me. Deanna, what sort of comes up for you? Well, I think it's interesting when you talk about that, of what you're going to let go of and, um, and prioritize. And again, that's another thing that I never got right. Um, as uh, my husband says, you know, I, I failed retirement like three times because <laughs> I would always say, oh, that sounds interesting. That sounds interesting. Um, but sometimes it's not irreparable. If you do let go of something, you can go back to it. And one of the things that I'll talk about uh, right now is another nonprofit that I've been really involved with. This particular one happens to be in Seattle as well. It's called PATH. Um, PATH is one of the leading global health charities um, in the world and um, does amazing things. Small, little known, <laughs> little known entity. Um, and I was on the board in Seattle and then I found myself, uh, you know, traveling all the time, was never in Seattle that much. So I, um, I basically said, uh, you know, I'm going to have to leave the board and go on. In that, in that essence of letting something go and prioritizing on some of these other things, I was starting board ready at the time. Well, then the pandemic hits. There is no better organization to help be a part of not only uh, uh, finding the vaccine or accelerating that, but again, um, being able to help ensure that um, we have global health security coming out of it. And so I went back, they had had a change of CEO and I went to the CEO, I said on a Zoom call, I said, you know, can I come back and, and can I be of help? And would that be something that's going on? And, um, and we're in the process of doing that and we'll see, but, but it's because the times changed around me. Path didn't change, I didn't change, but the times changed that made that reassociation then really, really important. So I guess the point that I'd say is that you not only learn from your mistakes and your mistakes on timing, but they're not irreparable. If you lost that job, it's not irreparable to be able to say, okay, maybe my timing wasn't right, maybe everything happened, but you do have to keep forging, forging along, I think, and understanding really well what you bring to a situation and finding those situations like your friend did to step mm -hmm. in and be able to do that um, and, and make that match. Yeah. And, and, and how you, know, you keep up a, a massive amount of energy, all these different things you're doing, you're in different countries. I mean, you, you can't move to different countries, but you would spend your time going back and forth between the UK and America and elsewhere. What have you done with your health and well-being? Because to, to, you've worked hard on this over the years. It's been, uh, you've got a really good focus on this to keep yourself vibrant and um, energized so you can give energy to family, your husband, all these uh, friends you have, and many different organizations. How, how, how have you managed it with your health and well-being? What tips would you pass on to others? Well, I think a couple of things come to mind. The first thing is um, uh, I have now, uh, my husband and I have two adult children um, who are great. But I remember when we had young children, um, the one thing that keeps that humility for you 
It's basically um, young children who are never impressed by what you're doing. Somebody asked my son once, uh, and he was probably, I don't know, he was probably uh, six or seven at the time, said, hey, what does your mom do at that bank? And uh, she goes, goes, I don't know, best I can figure out. She just kind of sits in meetings and eats cookies all day. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, I think that that is, um, I think that's kind of uh, interesting. But, but the great thing about having um, kids now is um, they keep you young because uh, you want to be out uh, doing things with them. And it's not like um, back in the days when you could just, jump in and go water ski or go do something. You have to stay a little fit to do that. Um, I'm a brand new grandmother and that's exciting. Whoa, Looking whoa. At that new generation uh, coming in. So I think that's brilliant. And I do think um, trying to figure out where you get this natural energy from. And in my case, that's why both Cameo Works and Board Ready, um, as well as the board work that I do, but it lets you interact with really dynamic up and coming next generation people um, that I have so much confidence in are going to lead us really well. And, um, and there's, that's, that's what gives me energy. Now mm. I wished, I wished I had the discipline you had of always eating right. Um, <laughs> but I, but I don't quite do that, but at least I, um, I don't get, too out of line too much of the time but that's that's probably my downfall you know yeah. french fries yeah, no, <laughs> Chips. I, I, I do i do know when I've, i had a little bit too much wine or a bit too much uh food or come off the barrel and um, have, have the chocolates and things like that i notice it almost instantly but i think the good thing about the pandemic if you can be somewhere where there's some space or even i train in the house or whatever is every day, apart from a day's rest, I, I do some kind of exercise. And it's a lovely way of Lee and I starting the day by doing uh, exercise together and ending the day with a sort of sunset walk where you just catch up with each other, having been on, you know, on meetings all day and things like that. Um, conscious we're coming to the end of our time, but just the last couple of things, a low point in what you learned from it in your life or your career, and then a couple of high points, and then we'll perhaps leave us with a couple of top tips. That would be great. Yeah. And the book, well, I think, the book at the yeah. end. Um, oh yes, the book, the book. Um, I think that the, um, I think that probably the, the low points are interesting. Um, I remember at one point, and the company shall remain nameless, um, but as often happens um, in corporations, um, they reorganize, and in this particular situation, I was in a situation where in a course of a year, I had four different bosses, all, I was in the same job, but people were reorganizing and moving in and out. And um, the last one was really, um, I think one of those, um, you know, kind of uh, corporate psychopaths that you talk about, um, really, really a challenge. And, um, and I guess, uh, that's really hard to deal with emotionally. Um, but I think that what I learned from that was how not to tie your entire emotional well-being in how somebody behaves because you have the opportunity in how you react. Yeah. And compartmentalization, um, 
I really focused on how can you compartmentalize um, your life and the amount of emotion and turmoil that you're going to give to that. Yeah. And I think everybody has a bad boss sometime in their life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's always um, a key point um, to learn. Mm. And I think um, I think that the challenge that one has when you go through that, you get into the point where it's very dangerous, where you go, well, I know it's all about me. What am I doing? And you lose your confidence. You lose your self-confidence. You erode that. It's abuse. It's abuse. And you're suffering that, abuse. You're starting to blame yeah. yourself. And that is always a challenge because it's not about you. Yeah. And it is not about if it worked for somebody else two months before and it works again after. It's not that we can all learn, but I think you can't um, overly beat yourself up. So that was probably um, that was probably one of the low professional points um, yeah. that I had. And what about what about a high point? I think a high point is um, it's always it's always about the people. Mm. Um, when I started Cameo Works, um, I've never marketed it. I've never done anything like that. And the bulk of clients have been people who, at some point, worked for me somewhere in an organization. Um, entry level or whatever, and remembered that and came and said, you know, you were inspiring to us. Uh, you gave us good advice and counsel. Um, could we hire you now as a client? And that's a real plus. On the personal kind of family and professional front, um, as you know, um, I've introduced you to um, my nephew, Matt Oppenheimer, who is the CEO of Remitly, that's um, an incredible success story of a startup of uh, now a global digital remittance business that actually, um, you know, uh, we talked about when he was envisioning it from the very beginning um, in our in our living room in London. And uh, and and he is a great success because he's one of these leaders we've been talking about, mm. humble, bright. Um, always listening for that feedback and moving along. So seeing Matt uh, really succeed um, in that business has been another, another highlight. So I have lots of nephews and nieces that I love dearly. Um, but, uh, but he's one that um, saw an opportunity, took risk, calculated risk, and created a business that is um, doing great. It is amazing. So uh, to end with the book and then your final top tip to leave us with. Yeah. Well, I'm reading um, right now um, Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed. And um, she's a new author. Um, and I'm only on chapter four. But it is about a lot of what we are going through now. Um, Black Lives Matter. In uh, how people coming from different backgrounds different circumstances have advantage or disadvantage um, inherent within the system. Um, and so I'm, I'm finding that interesting because she's written it in a way that no matter what your perspective or background, you read it and take something from it. Mm-hmm. So um, that one I'm loving. Uh, another one that you and I talked about earlier, again, uh, back in my Seattle roots, um, and uh, is Boys in the Boat. That's a great story on leadership. It's about the uh, 
Seattle um, uh, boat team that um, went to the Olympics um, back in the uh, 30s. And uh, actually, it was just such a long shot that they would ever make it there. Um, and they did. It's a it's a really a great read, but it talks about the importance of leadership. Of it's a team sport, and um, again, um, anything <laughs> in boating where you are rowing is definitely a team sport. If you are a nanosecond off, um, you don't win. Yeah, and. Uh, and so it is about that. How do you harmonize a team? Yeah. How do you get the best out of everybody that you want to? And that's been the highlight. When, when I've been able to do that in my career or at home, when what you say or what you do or what you show or what you demonstrate gets the best out of everybody else, that's a real thrill. And that's a great tip to end on. And so thank you, Deanna Oppenheimer. Fascinating as always. And good luck with um, Board Matters and also Cameo Works. And um, I, I'm really delighted with everything that, uh, it, Board Ready, Board Ready. Board Ready, boardready.io. Thank you for catching that. And um, really grateful for you sharing this. And I know people will enjoy and uh, be reaching out to you. So thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Jonathan. Good Cheers, to So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, Get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.